Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Does God hear the prayers that are prayed by the unrighteous? Yes, He does. But what this proverb is saying is, if you don't listen to God, God's not going to listen to you. Basically what it's saying. You, you turn your ear away from hearing the Word of God, the law of God, you won't hear it, why would God hear you? You don't listen to what God is speaking into your life, why would God listen to you when you pray to Him? You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Proverbs. In today's message, Pastor J.D. will remind you that while God does hear the prayers of sinners, God only hears the prayers of those who listen to Him. If you don't listen to what someone says, why should they listen to you? You need to listen to what God has to say about you and your life. Only then will He hear you. Now be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in Proverbs chapter 28 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. We are going to pick it up where we left off in Proverbs chapter 28 as we make our trek through the Bible. Book by book and chapter by chapter and verse by verse, we have an interesting chapter before us, a chapter that has these contrasting Proverbs, and the contrast that we're in store for is stark, to say the least. The contrast between the righteous and the unrighteous, the wise and the foolish, the the evil, the wicked, and the good. All right, let's jump in. Verse 1, right out of the chute, we got a doozy. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but, here's the contrast, the righteous are bold as a lion. So this proverb speaks to how it is that when somebody knows they're doing something wrong, they're like always looking over their shoulder, Uh, whereas the one who is walking uprightly, walking in righteousness, and integrity has this boldness, this confidence, not an arrogance, but a confidence in the Lord. They have nothing to fear. Nobody's after them. Nobody's going to find out about them. We're going to see this again come up as it relates to sin. You, you know it's wrong when you either run because of it or you hide it. Pretty good indication that it is wrong. Verse 2, because of the transgression of a land, many are its princes. But, again, here's the contrast, by a man of understanding and knowledge, right will be prolonged. So this is speaking to how it is that those who rule, those who are elected into position, Uh, they are many, and when there's transgression in the land, and sadly many look to them as being the ones that can fix it. And what this proverb is saying is that no man 
can do that by a man of understanding and knowledge, right will be prolonged. Verse 3, a poor man who oppresses the poor is like a driving rain which leaves no food. This is interesting. A poor man who oppresses the poor? Wait a minute. Uh, uh, If they're poor, wouldn't they be compassionate on the poor instead of oppressing the poor? Well, that's what the proverb is saying, is that if a poor man is in a position to do this and they oppress the poor, what they are like is like this freak storm that leaves no food. It leaves nothing but destruction in its wake. Verse 4, those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with them. And this kind of ties in with verse 5 as well. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand all. So interesting. (laughs) Isn't it true that those who are not walking uprightly, those who are unrighteous, walking in wickedness, they are the ones who will praise those who are also like them, the wicked? Because by doing so, then what they're essentially saying is, is that there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, because if there's something wrong with what you're doing, then that means there's something wrong with what I'm doing. So they praise the wicked. This is what Isaiah talks about. It's actually a curse that is pronounced on those in the last days. And and certainly this is true of the day in which we live today, that they will call evil good, and good evil. It's almost like wickedness is applauded and righteousness is condemned. Verse 7, pardon me, verse 6. Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than one perverse in his ways, though he be rich. This is pretty clear. In other words, it's better to be poor and be in walking in integrity and honesty than it is to be corrupt even though you're wealthy? If you had your choice between the two, it is better to walk in integrity though poor. Verse 7, whoever keeps the law is a discerning son, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. In other words, here you've got a son, and if they are walking uprightly, they, and they're discerning, and they're prudent, and they're obedient, then they bring honor to the father, and so too for the mother. But if they're partiers and revelers, then they bring embarrassment and shame. Verse 8, one who increases his possessions by usury and extortion gathers it for him who will pity the poor. This is interesting, and this is again a recurring theme throughout the book of Proverbs, speaking to poverty and the poor, and showing pity on the poor, being generous with the poor. 
Here it's as if God is saying that the one who is compassionate to the poor, giving generous to the poor, are going to be provided. And interesting, the provision will come by way of those who increase their possessions by these unjust means of usury and extortion. They're actually accumulating it and gathering it for those who will give it and share it with the poor. Verse 9, one who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Now this can be a little bit difficult at first read because it almost gives you the impression that God does not hear the prayers of sinners. And that's not true. And we know that's not true because when we came to Christ, when we came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and we prayed, He heard that prayer. I mean, if He didn't hear that prayer, we would not be saved. So the question is, does God hear the prayers that are prayed by the unrighteous? Yes, He does. But what this proverb is saying is, if you don't listen to God, God's not going to listen to you. Basically what it's saying. You you turn your ear away from hearing the Word of God, the law of God. (laughs) You won't hear it. Why would God hear you? You don't listen to what God is speaking into your life. Why would God listen to you when you pray to Him? There's another thought here. I was thinking about this as I was going through this chapter again. And it has to do with God not answering a prayer that we pray when the last thing that He showed us to do, we were not found faithful in doing it. Let me say the same thing in a different way. (laughs) Sometimes we'll pray and we'll ask God to show us something or, you know, reveal to us what His will is for us. And it's almost like God saying, "Uh, wait a minute, Uh, I'm not going to do that because you didn't do the last thing I told you to do. You, I, 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 I gave you sort of your, your marching orders, if you will, and you haven't done that. Why would I do this or answer this or give you this to do when you haven't been found faithful in doing the last thing that I called you to do? Verse 10, whoever causes the upright to go astray in an evil way, he himself will fall into his own pit. But, here's the contrast, the blameless will inherit good. This is a biggie, and we see it throughout Scripture. Here you have somebody that is leading someone astray, causing someone to stumble. I I think of when Jesus very... (laughs) bluntly said, if any of you cause one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better if you had a millstone tied around your neck and you were thrown into the ocean and (laughs) to die and to drown that way. It would be better for you. It would be better for you to have that happen to you than for you to lead somebody astray. Uh, This is a biggie in God's eyes. I think about Daniel, where the guys that were responsible for having him thrown into the den of lions, 
they themselves would be the ones that would be thrown into that very pit, that very den of lions, and they would be the ones that would be devoured. Let me say it this way. It is my belief that God takes very seriously this matter of offending somebody, leading somebody astray. It will never go unnoticed. I would even venture to say it will never, ever go unpunished. This is a very serious matter. I think about the Apostle Paul uh, talking about this in, in writing to the churches about the weaker brother. You have to be very careful that you don't stumble them. You don't lead them astray. God takes notice of that. God takes that very seriously. Now the contrast again on this proverb is that the blameless will inherit good. I think we are all going to be held to an account of how we impacted the life of another. Did we lead them down the path of righteousness? Or did we lead them down the path of unrighteousness? I want to talk about that more at the end of our study. Verse 11, this is an interesting one. The rich man is wise in his own eyes, but the poor has understanding, searches him out. This is interesting because here you have this wealthy man that thinks he's all that. And in his own eyes, he fancies himself as being wise. He fancies himself as being better than everybody else. Why? Because of his riches. What I find interesting is, it's the poor who sees right through him. The question is, why is it the poor that sees right through him? Because the poor man is looking at this rich man who thinks he's all that, wise in his own eyes, better than everybody else, the smartest man in the room. And why does he think that? Because look at his riches. In other words, riches, to have riches is not synonymous with having wisdom. Here's the poor man looking at this this rich guy who thinks he's wise in his own eyes, and he's saying to himself, I see right through it, because I uh, associate myself with with poor people, not rich people. And there's a lot of poor people that are very wise, very smart, very good. So just because you think that because you have riches, you have wealth, you've accumulated these uh, resources, these material possessions, that you're any better than anybody else. And that's what riches have a way of doing. I mean, they have a way of creating this arrogance and this pride. Verse 12, when the righteous rejoice, there is great glory. But when the wicked arise, men hide themselves. But I think about past elections, not that the President of the United States is omniscient or omnipotent or anything like that, but I just think about past elections when a president was elected, and uh, you just want to crawl into a hole (laughs) and hide and wait it out. Oh God! (laughs) But conversely, when the righteous reign, there's a rejoicing, there is great glory. Verse 13, this one, uh, this is, we need, need to maybe spend a little bit of time on this one. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but 
whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Okay, I think about David on this one. His sin of adultery with Bathsheba, which resulted in the murder of Uriah the Hittite, and he tried to cover it up, and he hid it. And for almost a year, and it it just about killed him. He writes in the Psalms how that he just was dying inside. His soul had dried up, his bones had dried up because he was covering his sin. And in that state of covering your sin, hiding your sin, God is not going to bless, God is not going to prosper. But, and here's the good news, and this is something that the enemy works against us and exploits. Because it says, whoever confesses and forsakes, they're the ones that will have mercy. I think about 1 John 1.19. It's been likened unto the Christian bar of soap. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Now, here's what I'm thinking. The enemy comes in, and when we sin, he tries to convince us that we need to cover it up. Nobody can find out. We need to hide it. And again, when you're hiding something, pretty good indication that it's wrong, that it's sin. It's that Adamic nature in every single one of us, and it started in the garden when sin entered the world. What was the first thing Adam and Eve did? They tried to cover their nakedness and hide. And here comes God into the midst of the garden, and He says, where are you, Adam? He didn't, it's not like God didn't know where he was. It was more like, why are you hiding, Adam? God, God knows why he's hiding, because he's sinned. And see, this is what we do. In our sin, we think, I, I, need, to, I need to keep a lid on it. I need to cover this. I need to, to hide this, because it cannot be found out. And that is the worst possible thing that you could do. Because when you do that, you allow Satan now to build this structure of condemnation and guilt in your life, and it will utterly destroy you. Here's what you need to do as quickly as possible. You need to get to the cross where that sin was paid for in full. And see, Satan doesn't want you doing that because he wants to go on condemning you. Paul in Romans 6 writes that there, in Romans 8 he says there's no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ Jesus. But he says that sin shall no longer dominate you, no longer have mastery over you. What is he saying? Not the temptation of sin, the guilt and the condemnation of sin. That condemnation, that guilt of sin no longer has dominion over you, control over you. And the only reason that we will ever live under the domination of that condemnation because of our sin is because it takes us that long to get to the cross where that sin was paid for. See, Satan doesn't want us going to the cross. 
Because as soon as we get there and we confess that sin and we forsake it, doesn't mean we're going to be sinless. It's a confessing of the sin, acknowledging of the sin, acknowledging that it is sin. By the way, that's what confessing sin means. You're confessing and you're saying, okay, Lord, I, I see this as you see this. And one would think that would be a firm grasp of the obvious, but sadly it's not. Because we don't want to call sin, sin anymore. We call it everything but sin. Let's take, for example, adultery. There was a a news report today, I guess, Bill Clinton uh, said that the reason why he had this affair with Monica Lewinsky was because it helped with his anxieties. I'm glad you laughed because I, I mean, at first I'm like, you'll forgive me, but really? Are you kidding me? Okay, we, this, this is wrong on every level. Starting with the word affair. Think about this with me, okay? Oh, he had an affair. Ah, oh, it sounds so okay, doesn't it? No, it it wasn't an affair. He committed adultery. But we don't want to call it adultery because that sounds like sin. Because it is. So we we call it, um, oh, how about this one? Um, You know, I'm I'm dealing with a, a couple of issues. Oh, issues. Oh, issues. Issues? Come on. No, it's called, repeat after me, Sin. Sin. It's sin. But see, we don't want to call it sin, and Satan certainly doesn't want us to call it sin, because as soon as we confess it as sin, acknowledge it as sin, then it comes under the arena of the Savior who paid for that sin. See, as long as we keep it out from underneath the arena of sin and just call it, well, it's just a a little issue over here. Well, then it's hands off because it's just an issue. Oh, it's it's just an affair. Oh, well, that, that doesn't sound nearly as bad as adultery. Adultery. I mean, doesn't adultery just... Well, it should. It used to. There was a day in our <laughs> when you would actually use a word like that, and it actually meant something. But somewhere along the line, we kind of softened the blow, just you know, took the edge off of it. You know what's really sad? This is what happens in churches. The words of wisdom the book of Proverbs provides weren't meant to only be applied to life in the author's time. They were also meant to benefit generations to come, including you. All ages and walks of life can benefit from this book in this modern world. Proverbs gives you practical advice for living a life that's pleasing to your Creator. It also shares insight for ways to interact with others to not only show love, but to model Jesus. Pastor J.D. will have more to share from Proverbs when you join us next time on In Spirit and Truth. In the meantime, you can listen to more teachings from Pastor J.D. at our website, inspiritandtruthradio.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast, connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, and even download our mobile app. 
This is a great way to keep Pastor J.D.'s teachings with you wherever you go and even share them with others. You'll find a link to download at our website. Again, that's inspiritandtruthradio.com. We also invite you to check out Pastor J.D.'s weekend update, the Mideast Prophecy Update. In these updates, Pastor J.D. takes a critical look at the news and events happening around the globe and compares them to prophecies of the Bible, sharing God's views on what's taking place. You'll find these updates on our mobile app or on our website. One more time, that's in spiritandtruthradio.com. That's all we have time for today. We pray you've been encouraged by this teaching in Proverbs and that you'll continue to study them on your own. Tune in next time for more right here on In Spirit and Truth.